Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today to the JTP Church Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message. If you want to share with us what God is doing in your life, you can write us at hello at jtp.church. If you would like to partner with us and make a financial gift to our ministry, you can visit us at www.jtp.church and make a donation. Now sit back and enjoy the message. Come on, give it up for Jesus. You guys may be seated. Why don't you high five three or four people that are around you? Tell them it's good to be in the house of God on a Sunday evening. Yeah, even if the heat are playing. You know, I've believed a long time ago that if I serve God, God fights my battles. So I believe that as we come here and worship God, thank you, Javier. I believe that God's giving the Miami Heat a victory over the Charlotte Hornets. And the people of God said, (laughs) I want to talk to you about something that's been in my heart for quite some time. For those that don't know me, I've known God for all my life. I was born in a Christian home. When I was born, my parents weren't pastors already, but my dad was a preacher since he was eight years old. So I've always had the fear of God instilled in me. And I want to talk to you about being good in his sight. So I want you to put your arm around a person that you have closest to you. And I want you to tell them the title of this sermon. I want you to tell them God wants us to be good in his sight. And I want you to turn quickly in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, verse 26. I'm not going to speak for long. Most preachers, when they tell you that, don't believe them, but you can believe me. (laughs) Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, verse 26. I love this verse. It's it's awesome. And I believe that God's going to speak to people here that probably need to hear this. The Bible says God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man or a woman who is good in his sight but to the sinner he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God everyone here say God gives from the start I want to establish that because sometimes we come to church and we have this misconception about God we think that God's all about taking away We think that God's about keeping us from living a life that's fun. Sometimes we have that misconception for some reason. People have opinions when they haven't experienced God. But once you come to know God, you see that God's not about taking away. On the contrary, God is a giver. How many thank God for that? I mean, let's start off with this. He gave us his son, Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, so that you wouldn't have to pay the price of your sin, which is death. Jesus paid the price of your sin and my sin, and he died on the cross for us so that we could have eternal life. He made himself a curse so that we would be blessed. He took on the pain so that you wouldn't have to. Ever since the beginning of mankind, from the creation when God created Adam and Eve, he created them with a purpose, and it's to bless them. And I love this because it's talking about God giving certain things. And some of the things that it's talking about here, he mentions three. He talks about wisdom, talks about knowledge, and he talks about joy. Let's talk a little bit about joy. Well, it's pretty self-explanatory, right? It's happiness in every season of your life. That's what joy is. It's not happiness and joy when you just got a pay raise. It's not joy when you got some money that you didn't expect. It's not joy when you got a gift that you really wanted. Those are temporary joys, but God is talking about a joy that surpasses all understanding. You see, there is a way through God that you could live every season of your life with joy in your heart, even when you're going through difficult situations. How many say amen? Amen. Now, that's not a joy that this world offers, 
but it's a, it's a joy that God offers. That's why it's so important to understand how can I live every single day of my life, whether I'm going through a, a difficult situation in my family, in my finances, in my personal life, but I can always have joy, and that joy gets me through the situation. Well, God gives us the key here. He tells us how to do it. And then he goes on, and he talks about two more things. He talks about wisdom and knowledge. Everybody say wisdom, wisdom. and knowledge. They're related, but they're not the same. Knowledge, if you go to the dictionary, the definition is information gained through experience, reasoning, and acquaintance. So we get knowledge out of experience, out of reasoning, and out of acquaintances with people. Wisdom, on the other hand, is the ability to discern or judge what is true, what is right, and what is lasting. So what happens? You could have knowledge without wisdom, but you can have wisdom without knowledge. Let me put it this way. Knowledge is knowing what the Bible says. I know some of you guys have practically been here for a long time in the church. I've literally known some of you guys being presented here as babies. And I know you guys have been here. We've, we've been established here as a ministry for 30 years. So um, in the process, I've seen a lot of people come and go and a lot of people come and stay. You know, we know what the Bible says. We come here Sunday after Sunday. We read the Bible. You know, sometimes we even listen to the podcast. JTP Church has a podcast in case you didn't know. So you should subscribe to it. Both the Spanish services and the English services. That's a little commercial right there. I just thought I'd throw in. But you listen to the word and you, you hear it in different ways. And you know what the word says. Now, that's knowledge. Wisdom is knowing when and how to use the word. The Bible talks about people that sometimes they're hearers of the word, but they're not doers. So that's people that have knowledge, but they don't have wisdom because they don't know how to use it. Amen? But the Bible says that God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who do good in his sight. How many say amen to that? Everybody say they're gifts from God. God gives these things. You see, you can't attain joy. Joy is not attached to a possession. Joy is not attached... To a person, oh, it, man, if I could get with that girl, I'll be, man, I'll be happy. You know what? It's, joy is not dependent on a person or a circumstance or a possession. It's a gift that God gives you. Now, the Bible says that God will develop these three gifts in the lives of those who are good in his sight. The question is, how can I make sure that I'm a person that is walking good in his sight? And I want you to go with me in the book of Judges because it's going to shed some light on what we're talking about tonight. Judges chapter 21, verse 25. Everybody here love the Word of God? It's awesome. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles for you today. Uh, take it. It's, it's amazing. You shouldn't go one day without reading the Bible. It's your manual to living life. You want to live a life full of wisdom, full of joy. Read the Word of God. Judges 21, 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Just a little background, because this is way back before Jesus was born. The Bible says that there was a time of judges. There wasn't a king. Every other empire had a king, but Israel was governed by judges. How many of you guys have heard of Samson? Remember, the Holy Spirit will come upon him and the supernatural strength will come and he will defeat his enemies. He defeated a thousand Philistines with a jawbone of a mule once. I mean, crazy. How many of you guys remember Gideon, the story of Gideon? 
Deborah. These were all judges. So in that time, there wasn't a king. God will use these judges to be able to set his people free from the Philistines and from their enemies. So in those times, the Bible says, since there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That must have been chaos, I bet. I remember back in the early 90s, I was in high school back then. I could see people already doing the math. I was, <laughs> I was in high school back then, and we had a horrible hurricane, Hurricane Andrew. It's number four in the costliest hurricanes in the history of the United States. $26.5 billion of damage. And it was crazy. And I remember I was living in Kendall, way down south, which is where the worst of it uh, started striking down the homes. And I remember coming out the next morning and seeing, I mean, the streets were unrecognizable. There were trees falling all over the place. The power lines, even the posts that hold up the power lines were all on the streets. So you couldn't even go anywhere. One of the struggles that we had is that we didn't have power or food for about two weeks. I mean, think about it. I don't think we had cell phones back then. We used to have those beepers. You got, some of you guys don't even know what that is, right? Beep, 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 right? And then you had to go to a payphone, 25 cents, and call. <laughs> Payphones, yeah, what is that? We had no power. We had no TV. We had no cell phone. We had no social media. We wanted to know what was going on, and we couldn't tune into the news. So it was pretty bad. Trying to get out of your house in your car was literally impossible because of all the down power lines and the trees. Ten days after, you know, they, the crew started coming in and removing all the debris and, you know, getting rid of all the trees, my parents were finally able to get on the highway, and they went to North Broward to the closest opened McDonald's, and they bought value meals for my sister and themselves and, and myself. And they brought it. I mean, it took them like 45 minutes to get home because it was still nasty traffic. A lot of the traffic lights still wouldn't work. So they came. It was like the coldest Big Mac I've ever had. But let me tell you, it tasted like heaven. Because after 10 days of eating canned tuna and water, even a cold Big Mac will taste like heaven. It was just crazy. People were trying to get from one place to another. You couldn't, people couldn't work. I remember we had the services and people couldn't even get to church. It was just utter chaos. I, I want you to imagine, try to imagine what it would be like if we had no police department. What would this society be like if we had no speed limit? We had no traffic tickets? No firefighters? What if we had no stop signs? It would be utter chaos. Most of the people, well-intentioned, right, would want to get home after work. Because there's no order, it would take them forever to get to their house once they get to their house, they'd be super stressed out because of everything they had to go through during Hurricane Andrew. A place that would usually take you five minutes to get, it'll take you like an hour. Imagine the intersections, no traffic lights working, so this one would go and this one would have to wait. And then people will be honking and everybody will be telling other people they're number one, but with the middle finger. So when I read this verse, that's the first thing that comes to mind. It says that during the time of the judges in Israel, there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. We're not talking about people that wanted to do what was wrong. Am I right? It didn't say that these people wanted to do what was wrong. They were evil people. They just wanted to do what was right, but in their own eyes. They were sincere people, but they wanted to decide what was right for them. The problem with that is that neither you or I have the right to decide what is right? A church can decide what is right for you. People can decide 
what is right. Pastor can decide what is right. God is the only one who decides what is right. How many say amen? Planned Parenthood has decided that abortion is right. So has the Supreme Court. They backed them up and they said, yeah, until eight months, a woman could have an abortion. But God says it's evil. That's not right in his eyes. How many say amen? On June 26, 2015, just the other year, a couple of months ago, the White House lit up in rainbow colors, commemorating the Supreme Court's ruling to legalize same-sex marriages because it was right in their eyes, but not in God's eyes. Because God has established that marriage is exclusively between a man and a woman. See, there are many sincere people who want to do what is right, but they want to decide for themselves what is good and evil, and that's when we go wrong. See, I love what King Solomon wrote. The Bible says that King Solomon was the wisest person that has ever lived and that will ever live. He had wisdom not from here, from this world. The Bible says that one day God came to him because he gave an offering that really moved God's heart. After he gave that offering, God came to him and told him, Solomon, ask me whatever you want for me to give to you, and it's done. Anything you want. What would you guys ask God if tonight while you're sleeping, two in the morning, God wakes you up and says, you know what, you've been living a life that is in agreement with me. I love how you seek my presence. You know what, ask me whatever you want. I'm going to give it to you. What would you guys ask for? Maybe a car? Maybe a home? Well, King Solomon, he was just a teenager. He had the responsibility of leading a nation. He was a king. And he said, God, I can't do this on my own. All I ask is that you give me wisdom and understanding to lead your people. God loved that so much because he didn't ask for himself. He asked for the people. So what did God do? God gave him what he asked for, but also blessed him. He was the wealthiest man ever. You thought Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, these people had a lot of money. King Solomon outdid all of those by far. He was the wealthiest person, and God gave him wisdom to the point that people will come from all over the world to listen to this guy's words. He was just the wisest man ever. And he wrote this in the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 12. And there's wisdom in this. He said, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You see, sometimes things seem right to us. But if you don't go to God, and when you have a decision to make or you have something that you need direction on, if you don't go to God and tell him, God, what, what do you think about this? Is this what I should be doing? Is this the person for me? Is this the right time to do this? Should I move? Should I do this? Is this the right job for me? Is this the right career? Sometimes we think we know it all. We know what is good for us in our own eyes, but in God's eyes, it's not the perfect thing for you. He's saying here that we got to be careful because there's a way that seems right to man. It seems right to us, but in the end, it's the way to death. There's some decisions that we make, and because we don't consult with God, we pay the price. And then we have the audacity to go to God and say, God, why did you allow this? I go to church every Sunday, and we don't realize that we didn't take it to God. Every single day, it's so important that you get down on your knees. I'm going to have to make hundreds of decisions today. From the minute I get up, there's things that I'm not even going to have time to stop and think, to decide. I'm going to have to make decisions on the go. But I pray that you enlighten me and that every single decision I make will be one that is pleasing to you. That it's the right decision before your eyes. How many say amen to that? If we do that, if we 
include God in every single plan, in every single thing we do in our lives, things would be so much different. And that's what Solomon's saying here. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way that death. Raise your hand if you want death. No? Okay, raise your hand if you want life. All right, so it's so easy. God wants us to be able to go to him so that he could show us what is good before his eyes. How can we live our lives in a way that we are good in God's sight? And what I want to do here, I don't want to be too much longer, but I want to share with you a scripture from the New Testament and a scripture from the Old Testament. I want you to go with me to the book of Deuteronomy. We just finished reading a few minutes ago, and yet shared a few verses from here. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. And I want you to pay attention to what God says to his people. How many of you guys consider yourself sons of God, children of God? Okay, so this is for you. It says, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in what? In the sight of who? Of the Lord. You see, it's not talking about you should do what's good in your sight. It's talking about doing right in the sight of the Lord that it may be well with you. And it tells you why. I love it because it says if we as a church, as individuals, do what is right, we strive to please God in everything we do. Before we make a decision, we say, God, is this your perfect will? Is this what you would do if you were in my shoes? When we do that, we can guarantee ourselves that it's going to be well with us. When we make decisions, when we please God, when we do what is good in his sight, you can be certain that your future is going to be bright. You could be certain that God's going to fight your battles. God will never tell you do this and then it's going to mess you up. And then what? God, why would you do that? He'll never do that. God is not a God that will betray you. God is not a God that will do something to harm you. On the contrary, he wants to lead you to that place that he has prepared for you, a place of blessing, a place of overflow. How many say amen? amen? And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may be well with you. Put your arm around the person next to you and tell them God's desire for your life is that it would be well with you. That's right. In Titus chapter 3, now in the New Testament, verse 1 through 6, and then we're going to skip 7 and jump to 8. Verse 1 says, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey. Everybody say to obey. Mm. To be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. Everybody say no gossip. To be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish. We were disobedient, deceived serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness of the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now let's skip seven and look what verse eight says. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly. Now this is this is Apostle Paul writing to Titus, and he's telling him, look, after I pass, I want you to continue teaching this in the churches because people need to know. We're doing that today in 2016. How many say amen? amen? We're accomplishing this mandate that he gave. 
These things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. Everybody say, I need to be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable for man. If I do this, if I obey God, you see, a lot of people think that when they come to church, they're going to be presented this huge list of you can't do's, right? Can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do that. But that's not what church is about. When you come to church, it's not about building with four walls. It's about an encounter with Jesus Christ. Jesus is still alive and he wants to have a relationship with you. And once you start getting to know the grace with which Jesus loved you so much that he gave his life for you, that he had the audacity to come and pay the price for your sins and my sins so that you could live an abundant life, man, just out of gratefulness, you want to start saying, God, I want to live a life that pleases you. I know in this generation it's so hard, and this is totally contrary to what they teach you in life. They teach you, you know, you should always look for yourself. You know, don't trust anybody. But God here is telling us that we should always do what is pleasing and what is good in his eyes. And how do we do that? Well, by abiding by God's commandments, by seeking to please God in everything that he tells us that we should do and the things that we shouldn't do. The original verse that we read in Ecclesiastes 2.26 To the sinner he gives the work of gathering and collecting so that he may give to him who is good before God. So here we have somebody who's pleasing God. He's coming to services. He's getting involved. He joins or she joins the forward movement. They want to know more of God. They pray to God every single morning. They want to connect with him to have a relationship with God. All the while, there's other people that are up to no good. And sometimes... You're here in church and and you see people that are up to no good doing shady stuff and you see them making a lot of money and you're like, wow, man, I'm doing the right thing here and I'm, you know, I'm barely getting by. But the Bible says this, and if you believe God and you have faith in God, the Bible says that there's a sinner that's accumulating and the people that are serving God are here focused on serving God, seeking God. There comes a point where everything that this person collected gets transferred over to those that do good in the sight of God. How many of you guys believe it? There's a sinner that's accumulating for you so that you won't have to work for all that blessing that God's about to give you. Do you believe that? I heard so many amens now. Right? We love the blessing part, right? But who gets blessed? Everybody say those that do good in the sight of God. You see, there's ways that may appear really good to me. But if I don't go to God and say, God, what do you think about this? If I don't involve God in my situations, and my decisions, I could be making bad decisions that I'm going to pay for for a long time. I can save all that heartache. I could save all that time that I've lost if I just go to God and I take every single decision I need to make and say, God, what do you think? I don't know about you, but I want God involved in my life and every single thing I do. I can't get enough of God. I need more of him. I said this a couple of weeks ago. God already went to the future, and he came back, and he already knows what's the best option for you. He already knows everything. So when you connect with God, God starts revealing. We talked about this, right, last week, the Holy Spirit, that one of the things that he does is that he shows us all things. And when you have a relationship with God, there's certain things that you would have never guessed And you probably would have done the opposite. But because you have a relationship with God, God leads you to the right decision. And then you say, wow, thank God. I honor God and that I go to him and that I pray for him every day. I would have probably done this. 
but God led me to this, and now I'm enjoying God's blessing. How many say amen? That's God's final plan for your life. He wants you to be well. A couple of weeks ago, we had a frame ordered at home uh, of a verse that Carly and I loved. And the person that did this frame, if I'm not mistaken, she literally painted it, right? It's hand-painted and handcrafted and put together. It took us like six weeks to get it. We got it and we hung it right next to the TV. We figured that it'd get a lot of attention there. We'd see it often. It was either that or next to the refrigerator or next to the toilet. We used process of elimination, so we decided living room. <laughs> but the frame says this. Joyful in hope, patient in tribulation, and faithful in prayer. It's Romans 12 too. You want to jot it down. Romans 12 too. Joyful in hope. You see, you don't have to have everything. You don't have to have everything together to have joy. But when you have the hope of God in your life, your situation right now could probably be not a good one. But because you know that God is fighting your battles for you, and because God is for those who seek him, and God is for those who do good in his sight, I know that God is going to open a way for me. Even if it seems that there is no way. The Bible says that he fights for us, that he takes on our battles. God even encourages us to bring our burdens and to lay it down at his feet because he cares for us. Sometimes we're carrying around stuff that we shouldn't even be carrying around. God is like, hey, why are you carrying all that stuff, all that baggage? Bring it to my feet. I'll make your journey light. We're trying to take on things on our own and we're heavy burdened, heavy laden. And God wants to give us hope. God wants to give us joy to be patient in tribulation and faithful in prayer. See, the definition of a Christian is someone who does not live to please themselves or to please others, but to please God. How many say amen? amen. I want you to share that with the person sitting next to you. I want you to tell them a true Christian is not just a person that comes to church. It's a person that seeks to please God above yourself. There's going to be a point in time when God's going to want you and ask for you and draw you closer to him and start sharing his plans for your life. And sometimes our plans get in the way. And when God's plans crash with your plans, what are you going to decide? Oh, God, you know, I love you and everything. I don't mind going to church on Sundays. But, man, this, you're asking for too much. I got too many plans. I don't have time. And see, sometimes we decide to put our plans before God's. We are called to please God. And that should be the phrase that sums up every single one of our lives. He pleases God. She pleases God. How many say amen? I want to introduce you guys as I close. And if somebody can help me on the keys, I'd really appreciate it. I want to introduce you to a guy that he really pleased God in the Bible. It's in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. Not a lot is spoken about this person because the Bible doesn't give us a lot of information about him. But there's just one thing that this person did just with that phrase that sums up everything. And Hebrews 11.5 says, By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. This is one of the two people in the history of the world that never died. Right? We spoke about one of them a little while ago, right? Elijah. He was taken in a chariot of fire. God came to pick him up. He never died. He took him alive to heaven. Enoch. 
he was taken away so he did not see death. And check this out, and was not found. People started looking for him. Where the heck is Enoch? He, he just disappeared. He was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. One of the things that I would love people to say about me when they sum my life up in just one sentence, Jonathan Aguero pleased God. I think every single one of us should strive for that testimony. What a testimony of this man. We've had entire books that talk about one person, right? Or, or many chapters. You talk about Abraham in this like half of Genesis. I mean, just incredible. Written so much about these people because they did so many things for God. But this guy, he just had this testimony and he pleased God. And I want to challenge you today. The Bible says that to those that do good in his sight, God gives joy, gives wisdom, and he gives understanding. You know what? God still gives. Some people think that, well, no, it's just that, you know, God used to do great things back then. Uh-uh. God's still alive now. He's just looking for people like you and I that would make a decision, a firm decision to say, I'm going to please God. No matter what it takes, no matter what situation I'm in, God is always going to come first. If I have to put myself to the side, let it be. I'm just going to give God and please him with everything that I have. And when that happens, the Bible says that God starts pouring into your life joy. Man, it's, it's so amazing to live Christian life. You could be lacking stuff. I, I have a lot of dreams that I still need to accomplish on a personal level. I've been married to Carly for 10 years. We're going on 11 soon. And we've been blessed with a baby boy. I mean, God blessed me. But I still have a lot of plans. I still have a lot of dreams, you know, ministry-wise, in a lot of areas of my life. But I know that there's one thing that I'm focused in doing, and that's pleasing God. More than pleasing people, more than pleasing anybody else, it's pleasing God. How many say amen? This guy had a testimony, and what a testimony. He pleased God. The first half of the word knowledge, which is one of the things that God gives us, starts with the word know. Because there's only one way that you could know what things please God. And it's by knowing him. You can't know what pleases someone if you don't talk to that person and get to know them and see what they like. I got to know Carly when we were dating and I knew back then that she loved Subway cookies. She's moved past that. Her taste has gotten a little bit more expensive <laughs> to my demise. <laughs> a little bit healthier too. But I remember she used to love them. I would get Subway cookies, and I remember and I, in my lunch break, I had 30 minutes of lunch, and she lives about 12 minutes from here. So I literally, when we were dating, I'd go for lunch, pass by, get the cookies. I literally had time to just drop it off and say, hey, babe, <laughs> give her the cookies and just take off. But you know what? I, I got to know her, and I started knowing things that she loved and things that she didn't love. When you go to God, you start... You start knowing what is good in God's sight. God starts revealing to you what's in his heart and what he has for your life. And when you start living a life that is pleasing to God, God just starts pouring over you joy. And you start, you start 
having this joy inside of you that nothing can take away. Doesn't mean that you're going to be in a bubble, protected, and no bad news are going to come. Bad news are going to come. Jesus even certified that. He said, you're going to have struggles in the world, but then he says, but trust in me, I have overcome the world. So there's always a hope. So even when you're going through situations in life, and maybe some of you are, there's joy for you. And I'm going to ask you guys to stand up tonight. I think this is a, a beautiful night to make important decisions in our life. There, there's people that have a lot of money, a lot of power. According to us, we see them you know, on TV, celebrities and you know, ball players. They're making so much money. They have beautiful wives, you know, live in mansions. And then you hear about that they're depressed. You hear about that they commit suicide. And joy has nothing to do with what, how much money you have or, or your power or your fame. Joy is a gift from God. And when you seek to please God with all your heart, God starts giving you knowledge, wisdom, joy. And boy, do we need those nowadays. Close your eyes there where you are. We're going to worship God in just a second. I just want to do a calling today because, you know, God never came to judge the world. Maybe to this point, you never considered God in anything you did. You just went ahead and went through life like most people do. You know, I'm a regular guy. Just, you know, I'm going to do life. I'm going to, I'm a good person. I'm not going to kill anybody. I'm not going to, I'm not a thief. I'm not going to steal from people. But maybe you've never included God in your plans. And you need joy in your life and the things you do. Maybe you're going through a rough patch in your life right now and, and you're seeking direction. And I want to do a calling right now. I'm just going to ask at the count of three, if you can raise your hand, just those people that want to make a firm commitment today to say, God, from this day on, I want to start to do what is good in your sight. I know I may have my opinions. I know I may have my ways of doing things. But God, from this day on, it's not going to be my will anymore. I want to do what is good in your sight. I want to live and spend the rest of my life pleasing you because I know that that will never be a loss for me. That's going to be a gain. If there's anybody here, the count of three, that you want to make that commitment with God. And I guarantee you, he's here. You may not see him, but the Bible says that wherever there's two or three people gathered, like we are today here, in his name, he's present. He's, he's here. The Holy Spirit's moving here in this place. And he's watching you. And he's, he wants to give you joy. But he's never going to force himself to you. He's never going to say, here I come, whether you like it or not. No, no. He waits for you to open your heart. And once you open your heart, he comes and he fills you. And he gives you grace. And he gives you joy. He gives you knowledge and wisdom. God's just going to make you wise so that you don't make mistakes. One, two, and three. Where are those hands? From this moment on, God, we're gonna, I see your hand. God bless you. God bless you. Awesome. God bless you. I see your hand back there. God bless you. God bless you too. God bless you. Praise God. Praise God. Feel God's presence in this place. Can we worship? Worship. Let's lift the name of Jesus up.